It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you, thank you for joining us. I go and uh, beat in the table the way uh, John Oliver does, uh, but I'm not on television, so you just have to uh, imagine it. Now, I am quite excited because with me in the studio today, making his debut on the Game Podcast, it's Alex K. Jowski. And you might be wondering, who is this guy? I never read his byline. Well, he's the sports editor of the Times and therefore my boss. So if you notice that I don't cut him out or talk over him or shout at him the way I do with other uh, guests, even with Henry Winter sometimes, you'll know why. Down the line, we have another one of my personal favorites. Uh, It's possibly one of the three greatest living Aberdeen fans. It's the Sunday Times football correspondent, Mr. Jonathan Northcroft. Good morning. Thanks for the build-up. Later on, we'll be talking about England's under-17 World Cup triumph. Tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, comeback against Spain. And um, Sam Allardyce, of all people, wrote uh, an interesting column about that today in the game, which found me very, very broadly in agreement. But first, we need to start with the Premier League and a rainy, hideous day in Manchester, but a good day for Jose Mourinho. Johnny, I'm going to start with you. Um, it seemed to me like beforehand the, the the debate was, ooh, will Mourinho park the bus against Spurs and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of did, and he was kind of vindicated, right? He was, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I hate to go down the whole Mourinho masterclass route of analysis because I think it's always overdone, but it was it a good day. You sound like a, like, a, like a larger Duncan Castles. <laughs> Oh, I couldn't. Uh, yes, I couldn't match that for uh, 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 Joseisms at all. Um, I want to uh, praise him though because he did um, have a very good day. I think uh, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't an incredible strategy that he brought off. Um, he was a bit more positive than against Liverpool, but it was the same hallmarks. Um, where really, you know, he focused on. The opposition threats. I, you know, Christian Eriksen, one of the best players in the Premier League for the last couple of years, one of my favourite players to watch. I didn't really get to see much of him because he spent most of the time searching for the ball. Um, with United doing a pretty good job of of choking the supply. I don't want to be unkind, but man, Ashley Young, Chris Smalling, Phil Jones, mm. 
He's got Lingard coming on. Is it fair to say, if I'm Mourinho, I say, listen, start of the season, y'all wanted me to attack more. I did that. I, I played Pogba, Mkhitaryan, and Mata and uh, and and Rashford stroke Martial together. Okay, those are four hugely attacking players with a center forward, with with Valencia, who's a winger recycled to a right back. I went and I did that. Now Pogba's injured, Mata's not well, and I I don't have the plan B of of, of Fellaini. Let me go and, and and play more defensive in this game and get off my back. Because I showed you I am willing to go and attack, but I need to have my skillful players. If I have a team of, of, of Lingards, I ain't going to do that. Is, is that fair? Yeah, no, no, I'm, I think that's absolutely true. Thank um, you. So, so Mourinho's so that, correct. He's correct from a pragmatic sense, but the counter would be that, you know, what you've just described is, is exactly his view of, of, of attacking football, which is, you know, he was set up as basic structure and then rely on the two or three, and it's a limited number of individuals in this team that have got the, the, the license to attack. He rely on the two or three individuals to make the difference. Whereas, you know, a Guardiola approach or a, or a Pochettino approach or a Klopp approach, obviously, is to have a team that's got an entire attacking structure. So, you know, the individuals don't matter so much. And that's, that's where we have a problem with Mourinho, I think, which is that even with the resources he's got at his disposal, and has had in his career at other clubs, he's never used them to construct something that is inherently attacking. Just to be clear, Joe, you're talking about an attacking system rather than just having attacking yeah. players on the pitch. Yeah. Because we've seen it before when he's chucked a whole load of, of attacking players on the pitch. But you're talking about a system that's designed to attack. Yeah. Hey, hey, Alex, are you on board with this? Do you think that's a fair Mourinho assessment? Or is, or is Johnny... Betraying yeah, I, think, I think it's Mourinho fair, it's difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the league table in front of me and Man City aside, who we don't count, they're like, you know, they're a separate cr- <laughs> like, creature, right? I mean, they've got a goal difference, seven better than anyone else in, in the league. They have scored goals when they played weaker teams in the start of the season. It hasn't, isn't the mood changed because of two things? One, that Liverpool game, which was partly because it came after an international break and everyone was so excited they didn't know how to have, like, even breathe and then it was boring and secondly Huddersfield that was a terrible terrible result I know I know I get mocked for my love of Pogba but isn't that that's not an alibi I have no Pogba I have no Carrick I have no Fellaini I have to play with Matic who y'all love and he's been playing well but he's still Matic and next to him I have Ander Herrera who for whatever reason I can't seem to get to play in a two you're a manager make it work (laughs) Yeah, and you've got, you know... What you're supposed spend- to do, or, or freaking daily blind. Maybe, maybe play him in midfield, as several people suggested to me. Sorry, go ahead. But, but Mourinho's had two transfer windows now. Um, well, in fact, you know, three transfer windows. Um, he's spent an, an inordinate amount of money. This is his squad, so it's his choice. It's his choice to have the personnel he, he does uh, to a certain extent. And, and you know, we saw... Uh, to go back to Guardiola, because we always seem to have to compare, but, you know, Guardiola, we, even with his riches in the summer, goes out and signs Bernardo Silva because he wants to keep that retinue of attacking options as high as possible. And that's not how Mourinho thinks. It's also true that Guardiola has a director of football and a club that's been sort of created for his needs for the last three or four years, whereas Mourinho has Ed Woodward, who is small and bearded and very good commercially, but Mm -hmm. I think there's a long laundry list of of transfer and mostly negotiation screw-ups. 
But also, like, you don't need to sign the best players in the world to play attacking or attractive no. football. You can play attractive football and, and fail sometimes, but you can you can do what Bournemouth do when they're having a good day, or you can do what yeah. Southampton have done at certain times in the past year, or you know, yeah. Huddersfield, Swansea under Brendan Rodgers. Remember that? Right. Speaking of Spurs, I don't think I think a lot of people find their their football attractive. Alex, I think people in the industry know that uh, you have a little simpatico for uh, uh, for Tottenham. When you saw that he started Son instead of Llorente, were you cool with that? Were you just like, ah, sorry, I trusted Potts, there's no Harry Kane, let's go with Son. Or did you think, well, conventional wisdom might have suggested, let's have the big man in there, we spent a lot of money for him for these situations, and then maybe we bring in Son later in the game when everybody's legs are a little heavy. No, I, trust, I, I trusted him. There were quite a few big matches last year when Kane wasn't available, where Son played up on his own and played really, really well. He was out of this world against Liverpool after having had a really poor few weeks and you just think right give the guy a go like Pochettino has a plan were people expecting Lorente to play against Real Madrid and everyone thought the guy was crazy and it actually turned out to be clever they played with real fear in the final third on Saturday they didn't take risks they probably paid the price for that more than anything would the game have been different if Llorente would have started maybe but you can play that game all day long can't you yeah, you well that's that's what we the media do, right, Johnny? I mean are you gonna second second guess Potcher? Yeah, I, I, I just think it's that it's that Lorente doesn't quite look to, to have the, 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 the sort of drive or the the, the edge of a of a Pochettino player. I'm still not sure about the fit there, to be quite honest. He's certainly a good option off the bench, but he, from the start with the intensity Spurs try and play at, would he would he be part of that? I'm not sure. Oh. I mean one of my thoughts on Saturday and, and this has been a thought for a while, it's Deli Ali is not in the league of Harry Kane yet. No, no matter how highly people try and rate him, absolutely. I think I think we've got to be honest and say he's, he's still in construction. That player, and perhaps um, he needs to do a bit of work on his game because he didn't. Given the license, he just didn't. He didn't create many problems against United. He didn't find many spaces. He didn't do much to have an impact in that game. And as I say, Ander Herrera wasn't playing well, so there was some scope for him to get deep and get on the ball and, and, and do something. But I, I, I thought, you know, given it was billed, as this is his chance to be the leader of the, the team, the leader of the attack without Kane, I, felt, I thought he fell well short of that. I think, I think you're right, Johnny. Mm. He had, he's had a really difficult start to the season. Like, I watch mm-hmm. him really closely. He's a huge talent. He's looked off the pace. He's mm. looked, I hate, using this word because I'm not sure what it means but he looks distracted a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but actually last couple of weeks he's put in some really good grown up mm-hmm. performances he's actually made a difference to the game and here was his chance to come on and influence I I just also think if you take certain leaders in the attack out of that team so Kane mm-hmm. is the obvious one and I actually think Dembele is the other one Dembele can yeah. really change that tempo either. He's in. he's just constantly injured but he came off the bench. Was he just not fit enough to start? No, he's had yeah. He just got ongoing foot injuries. Dembele and and Harry Winks really like good tidy player. But you know he's he's someone who's going to have to become a really good player. Mm. That team without Dembele in difficult circumstances, in tight when people are playing 10, 11 men behind the ball, sometimes really really struggle without him. All right, we need yeah. to go back because we haven't talked Mourinho enough. He made this point. Some people said that you know he 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 was annoyed with the crowd for. Uh, getting on Lukaku's back. Then I read it as he was annoyed with the crowd, uh, you know, rumblings when uh, when he took off Rashford uh, and, and brought on Martial. 
Are you just grumpy? Or are we making too big a deal out of it? Or, or, or what, Johnny? I just think it's just psychology. It, it, it's, it's, it's psychology is him against the world. And I just thought it was one of those moments where, you know, like him running down the touchline at Old Trafford or whatever, he's, he's, there's a sort of self-importance about him, isn't there? Where when he wins, he's, he sees it as a victory against all the forces he's, he's fighting against. That's just his psychology. And I thought it was a shushing gesture to the crowd, probably to the Einsteins in the press box, as he likes to to put it, um, to everyone, really. You know, here, here I am, I've, I've won again. Um, and we've talked about the kind of negatives of, of Mourinho. I, I, I don't want to be... I don't mean that all those things that you know we've said about attacking football and so on. That's not, that's not a criticism necessarily. I just think that's recognition of, of what he does. It is really black and white for him. It's 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 getting away with it or not, and he got away with it on Saturday, and that to him is is a huge moment of vindication. I don't think that I don't think that kind of victory would be a huge moment of vindication for for Guardiola because he's got a different psychology. But in Mourinho's world. That's what he does, you know. That that's what he brings to the party, and and, and I just thought that was that reaction was was all about him and how he sees things. Alex, you get the final word word on this because before you were a newspaper guy, you were a football fan. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, are you okay with a manager kind of shushing the fans and 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 telling them that no, you have to support this guy? Because I kind of look at it as like you know what, I pay a heck of a lot of money to go watch Manchester United. And I've watched a lot of football too, Jose. I've actually watched more football at this club than you have. And if I don't want to go and jump up and cheer for Romelu Lukaku or or anybody else, I don't have to. You don't. And and I think as a fan, it really annoys you. But he doesn't care. How many managers in, in the Premier League really would even have the security in their own position to, to say that, right? <laughs> Most of them are like, oh, no, they've fallen out with the fans. They've lost the fans. That's it. He's like, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a go at them because what are they going to do next time that we're at home and we need it up? They're going to make sure they're louder than ever because that's the psychology of this, right? Right. Oh, you, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't support our team properly? No, we'll make some noise now. Just to ask you something. I mean, if I'm not wrong, Mourinho had, had this kind of thing with Real Madrid fans, right? He, he, there were moments where he took them on. He did it with Chelsea. Did he, I mean, did he do it at Inter? It, it just seems that this is part of his psychology to me. Yeah, he did. I mean, you have to read the situation. I think at, at Real Madrid, that is not a clever thing to do because Real Madrid is a place yep. where, you know, they'll boo the champions because they have high standards. Yep. Uh, at a club like Inter, that didn't want anything a long time. At Chelsea, the first time round, you know, it's a different story. And maybe at Old Trafford, where it's been four years, maybe you can do that. Now, this season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and it says here FA Cup, but I believe it's the FA Cup from the third round. Correct, Alex? No, I think we got them from the first round. In fact, I know we got them from the first round because we're having a conversation about having them for this weekend. Really? There's somebody who sits there and edits the thousands of pub teams and stuff who enter like the... Yeah. Was it the fifth yeah. preliminary round? We 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 are football coverage for everyone. I stand corrected then. And it's just eight pounds for an eight-week trial. And in addition to all those uh, pictures, you also get all your favorite writers uh, in the paper. And not just them, but the guys from the Sunday Times as well, including our very own Jonathan Northcroft. And Jonathan, since you're here, I need to ask you, what was your favorite goal from the Premier League weekend? 
I think um, I think Alex is actually going to talk about my favourite goal from the weekend. So oh, I'll we're going to have a fight, are we? We, are we, we, <laughs> we can fight about it if we want. No, nah, that's okay. That's okay. Great, great minds and all that. I, I, I mean, I almost went for Daniel Sturridge scoring Sunday's goal, and, and you know, just that kind of the lost talent that Sturridge is. You know, it's great when he yeah, does that well. Been a mistake because it was often a mistake. So go on, come on, put something better. <laughs> I'm going to choose. Martial's goal for, for, for Manchester United. It was United. also the result of a mistake, but yeah. Yeah, but I think it was the biggest goal of the weekend. You could maybe argue Zaha's last-minute equaliser, but I think it was the biggest goal of the weekend. And um, I liked it, not only because I Martial's a, a player almost in the storage category that I feel might be getting a little bit lost, and, and, and you love to, to see it when, it when he does come to the fore. I thought technically the flick on from, from, from Lukaku was just magnificent. A bit of a, a dying art now, that kind of centre forward play, and that was superb. But I'm afraid I'm going to take it back to Mourinho. I, I, I just enjoy any time in sport when you see, uh, I guess, a top practitioner doing something, doing doing the thing that he does successfully. And, and that was what, what was good about that goal it wasn't necessarily just the substitution it was, it was the instructions that Martial was sent on the pitch with which was to get close to Lukaku and attack the space I just thought it was a really interesting tweak to the game that, that ended up deciding it and uh, it, it, you know it's something I went away from the ground thinking about so I enjoyed that goal for a number of reasons most of which you, you gave us uh, Alex uh, you have 10 seconds 10 seconds because Johnny ate up all your time with his with his granular description of his love for Martial's goal okay I'll do it I'll do it I love people running really 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 fast and that was amazing to watch Damari Gray do that into space it gets the crowd off their feet the whole like atmosphere of a place changes it was good because it was him and he hasn't been given enough opportunities then it was a beautiful pass in and it was finished off by Jamie Vardy who was up front for my fantasy football team. What is not to like about that You're goal? You're not going to beat that. And two English players, whereas Northcroft going on and on about all these foreigners like Lukaku and Mourinho and Martial. Hands down the winner, Alex Kajowski. The other match we're going to look at this weekend is uh, Leicester's uh, victory over Everton. Not so much about the game, although you heard a very eloquent description of uh, Damari Gray and uh, Jamie Vardy, um, but because we've had managerial change. And I want to start with with Claude Puel, um, because, I don't know, sometimes I just don't get it. After 20 years here, I really still don't get it. I've heard people say that, well, Claude Puel, been, some of them are people I respect talking on Five Live, actually. I even think Claude Puel is boring, uninspiring, uninspired. Help me, Johnny. Help me, Obi-Wan Northcroft. Can you just please, I, but I don't understand. What What do you want from a manager if you're Leicester City? Who are they supposed to, who are they supposed to appoint? Not to mention that the last guy named Claude or Claudio, actually, mm. uh, won the freaking Premier League for them. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't under, help me, please. Well, what, what they want primarily is to survive in the Premier League. And that's why Claudio lost his job. And that's why Craig Shakespeare lost his job. All the other factors, and we've talked about it on this podcast, you can strip them away. And, and, and you know, Claudio went at the moment where the owners panicked. And Shakespeare went because of an early season panic. And Claude Puel, to them, primarily represents somebody that's got such a solid body of work behind him. 
including with Southampton, that they do not think he's going to take them down. And and that, at the moment, is the, is the, the height and the limit of the, of the ambitions at Leicester. I kind of have a problem with even the fact that we're just describing him as, you know, Mr. Joe Blow, Mr. Gray, yeah, safe yeah, pair yeah. of hands. I don't understand. He had a better season last season than Guardiola, in my mind. Like, the guy got to the cup final... Should have beaten United and was pretty unlucky. Didn't they finish eighth, Southampton? Yes. And how many managers can really hand on heart say they performed better than Claude Puel last season? But look at the talent that they lost uh, the summer before. Look at the people that they tried to replace it with. Guys like Buffal and stuff were good players and Julian loves them, but, you know, didn't play that much. And consider the fact that Virgil van Dijk, who is, in the eyes of many, Godzilla and sort of the greatest defender in the history of the universe and the guy who single-handedly wins games, the poor guy gets injured in January and doesn't play the rest of the season. And they still finished in eighth place. Supposedly nobody likes Claude Puel. I think this is really, really good. Yeah, although I do think, and well, I do know that he really was not popular in that club by the end of the season. Really, really unpopular. He's French! I mean, Alex is, Alex is right there, though. That, it's a difficult one. But as a person, he didn't gel, let's say, with an English dressing room. Now, that might not matter because, as we've said, the rec- he had a great season. The record is there. Lyon, Monaco, Leo, all that sort of stuff. Terrific football manager. But it's, maybe it's a tone question. The fans didn't seem to relate, relate to him. And, and it is true that the, the players didn't really either. Does it matter? I don't know. But that's possibly where some of the negativity comes from as well. I don't have a problem with Southampton choosing a different manager because I think it's really important that they also have a guy who go and, and, and who fits the club and the club stands for something. Especially if, let's face it, you are given, not through fault of your own, but given the extreme polarization and the rich report uh, and the one percenter nature of more modern football, if you are Southampton, you will not win the Premier League, most likely, or even qualify for the Champions League. So you have to stand for something. You have to give something back to your fans. And if the fans don't like this guy, they don't like this guy. And I think, well done to the club for choosing somebody else. But that doesn't mean that he's he's a bad manager for Leicester. And so I, I was just shocked by some of the criticism that, that he received. Now, Everton, on the other hand, now you're, you're you're right up there. You're certainly closer to Goodison Park than uh, than Alex or I are because we're we're, mm-hmm. we're here among soft Southerners. Um, can you explain this David Unsworth phenomenon to me? <laughs> I I, I, um, I always kind of liked him because I, I liked yeah. him as a player because he used to hit the ball really really hard, and he's one of those guys where had he not been left footed, probably yeah. would not have been a top flight footballer. Yeah, do you think at any point he might indicate whether he wants the job or not? Or? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm unclear whether he's interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he's kind of a you know going about the PR like in the way he used to strike with penalties, isn't he? He's, he's straight down the middle here. Bill Kenwright is the explanation. That's a short explanation. He romantic Bill wants the Evertonian to succeed. He wants you know to make Everton as, as Everton as possible. He always has done. And, you know, he brought back Wayne Rooney for that end. And this is his dream for for one of the, the old guys to take over. I mean, I, I wonder how Duncan Ferguson's feeling because he's, he's been completely cut out of this succession plan. But anyway... Um, this, this, oh yeah, this, that's this it. One Scott sticking up for another one. Oh, no, your look, personality is so similar to Duncan <laughs> Ferguson's that it's not surprising. I'm not. By the way, I'm not saying Duncan Ferguson should be getting the job either. Right. Unsworth, to me, is 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 a vain hope. Let's say from from Bill. I mean, the guy's been under 23 managers, done a good job. But Everton have always done 
pretty well at youth level. Um, what does under twenty three league tell us? I don't know. I'm all for I'm all for young English managers being given a chance, but it seems to me to be a big leap going from you know Kuman, who was paid six million pounds a year, which put him in the top ten salaried European coaches, more than Simeone, more than Allegri. So uh, Everton have gone from saying this job is one of the top ten jobs in European football to saying we'll give it to the under-23 manager. I just think there's an identity crisis at that club. And what Mashiri wants is a £6 million a year super-duper manager. Um, what I'm about to say is just completely unfair, so I'm going to say it anyway. But there's just something about the fact that, he, that he's aggressively going after the job and saying he can do mm-hmm. it. It kind of reminds me of Tim Sherwood. Like it, it's mm. uh, Maybe he's the right man for the job, but I'm not sure... He should be just being quite as aggressive and forward with it. Can, can, can I? I want to go back to. This. I think Everton made some horrendous choices in the summer in the transfer window. We've been through it. Class and Sigurdsson, Rooney together, Sandro, the only guy to come in, all this other jazz. I'm assuming, in fact, I know for a fact they have a recruitment guy. And I know his name is, is Steve Walsh. Because, You're obsessed with this. Well, you know what? I don't understand. How is this guy getting away scot-free? While, while you guys sit there and, you know, you, you play like, oh, let, let, let's go and gild the lily. Ooh, Unsworth. Or oh, maybe Duncan Ferguson. Oh, oh, let's wait around for somebody else. How about Philip Neville? What about the guy who brought in all these terrible players? Well, well these guys who don't fit together. Have they established... Who is responsible? Are we just going to blame this all? I'm assuming Mashiri knows. I'm assuming Mashiri sits there and says, I know if it was Kuman who said, oh yes, I really want Rooney, and then I want the more Icelandic, slower version of Rooney as well, and then I want the Dutch, useless version of Rooney too. Because I really need to... I, I, seriously, somebody made this decision. Somebody thought it was a good idea. And I don't expect you to know, because the people in football lie, but I would expect Mashiri and Kenwright to know who made that decision in the summer? But this is this is the identity problem that Everton have got. You know, Bill brought back Rooney, Kuman wanted Klassen, and and Sigurdsson was, you know, from sort of group endeavour. But but that's the problem. And and you you know you've that, touched that can't on be, this is really true. What you're telling me, well, different no, people I'm, want I'm, different guys. Oh, let's go and yeah. buy, buy three doubles yeah. of them. Yeah, but that's so, terrible. Yeah. Seriously, that, that, that is really terrible. That, if I were a fan of this club, if I gave two hoots about Everton, I would go and I would go and knock. I, I know where Bill Kenwright lives here in London. We'll go knock on his door and say, Bill, enough, enough. Yeah. Sorry, know, it's, like, it's like the equivalent of me saying, mm, the podcast going all right, but maybe we need someone else quiet and demure like Gab to kind of sit, you know, <laughs> sit next to him. Yeah, well. I've never heard that one before. No, but <laughs> good idea. it's not going to address but, the underlying issue, is it? But this, this has gone on at Everton for years, though. I mean, Everton is well known that their club's always been a little bit political in this way. I mean, I remember Yakubu arriving. Yakubu wasn't a David Moyes choice. That wasn't a David Moyes signing. That was, that was foisted by, um, oh, how can I express this? One of, the, one of Bill's backers, um, who, who fancied making a big transfer. And, and who and, might be and, named and after colour. Indeed. Possibly. But very, very good. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe, no, maybe he doesn't no. live in, He's it's got nothing possible. to do with high street retail either. <laughs> exactly. Um, so th- this has gone on at Everton. I mean, I think, going back to Steve Walsh, what, what we're seeing is that maybe he isn't really a director of football, um, either in, in terms of, of, you know, 
how it's effectively working at the club, but also in his scope. I mean, it seems if he was a real, you know, cheeky Bageristan figure, then he would be appointing the next manager. It wouldn't be Mashiri and Bill. You'd leave it to you. Well, sure. I, I, I was assuming he was. I'm, I'm assuming that's his job, or, or is he just some sort of glorified think, scout? Well, I don't think he's been quite empowered. No. And I also don't think he's, you know, grasped the nettle enough to, 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 to merit that, I suppose. I mean, what, what he's done, it seems to me he's done all the things he did well at Leicester, i.e. he's found, you know, Calvert-Lewin, he's found Lookman, he's brought in some fairly you know, reasonable, Ashley Williams before he went over the hill was a, was, a, was a good signing. You know, the middle-ranking signings or the slightly slightly obscure ones at, at the cheap end of the market, what, he, what he's been unable to do is make that step to masterminding big transfers and pulling off the, you know, the really big deals. Um, I mean, it seems to me that the negotiation for Pickford and Sigurdsson and Keane just seemed to be, how much money do you want? Yeah, okay, that, that's, you know, we'll, we'll give you five million more than how much money you want and, and, and get the deal done. So I don't think he's done the big stuff. Um, I think he's just gone and done what he did really well at Leicester. And I think he's actually done it quite well at Everton, but that's only half of, of, of what a football director should be doing. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Henry Winter's not with us, so that means that the biggest, uh, I don't mean in that sense, I mean Henry Winter's not with us in the studio right now, so that means that the uh, the, the biggest uh, England fan here is you, Alex K. Jelski. Yep. Um, England win the under-17 World Cup. That's exciting. It is exciting. They were quite good I as think well. They were really they? well. That was more exciting than Man United Spurs. They got some good players and they played expansive, fast, attacking football, and it was you know, on the BBC and everyone watched it and everything. I know, and, and they violated the, the three o'clock blackout too, uh, which is, you know, quite subversive. Yeah, I know. That's those FIFA people for you. Um, hey, Johnny, I want to I, I get you on this because I was watching it. I made the point to somebody. Actually, it was to you, Alex, on the phone that these don't look, if you were, if you go back and you find YouTube of England under 17s 10 years ago or 15 years ago, they just look different, different body shapes, different style on the wall. Is this a case that, you know, 
this EPPP is working and you've thrown a ton of money at youth development and you're developing really, really good players. And by the way, one of the best players, Jaden Sancho, of course, wasn't actually there for the knockout stages because his evil German team made him come back uh, and, and play in the Bundesliga. To, to, to develop him. <laughs> yeah, to develop him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's loads of stuff that doesn't work about EPPP and, and probably about St. George's Park, but in essence, you're right. All the, all the money and time is starting to bear something. And the body shapes are, is, a, is a really good point. I thought that as well. Um, I thought that watching Brazil, you don't often see any Brazilian team being outdone physically, really, these days. But but I thought, you know, England, again, won that game in the last half an hour, were completely stronger. And I think you can you can tell the conditioning work, the preparation work that's gone into these these boys. And technically, they're, 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 they're a, a different lot to... Um, even even five, six years ago. So, you know, yeah, these were the kids who were seven years old when um, St. George's Park opened. They were entering their Premier League academies and, 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 and at the exact time that that began, they were about 10 or 11 when P began. But of course, you know, the, the academies were doing plenty of stuff before EPPP. Um, you know, so they, again, they were about, they were joining the academy system probably at the time that the real investment was was beginning. So it is it is fair to see it as a as a reflection. I all I would say is there's still a lot of wastage that goes on and there's still a lot of things that could be done better and these triumphs shouldn't just be taken of uh, that, that that everything's working perfectly. Let's let let's do it a lot better than we're already doing it now. But uh, but but fair enough, you know, there is some fruit now. The big problem for me now is okay, so you can say, right, the academy system's working, they're producing loads of good young players, and then you've got people saying, right, it's up to the managers now, they've got to pick these guys, it's up to you. Well, hang on, I'm just looking at my list here in the game. Well, you're 17 years old, 17 years old, 16 years old, 17 years old. How many footballers are playing Premier League football, regardless of their nationality at that age? What's missing at the moment is what happens to them between now and maybe being... 21, 22 when you become Premier League regulars or 20. There's no real plan for how you stop these guys becoming the next Josh McEachern. Um And that confuses me. Like It could be such a waste. And the answer, people just screaming, put them in the Chelsea team, is nonsense. No, it's 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 complete idiocy, as I've made the point many times before in this whole like you know pathways thing. Look around Europe, look at... When all these clubs that get praised for um, bringing through youth talent and stuff, look how many of that youth talent is actually in the first team at those clubs. Uh, look how many of those guys look at look where when they made their debut, and I think you'll you'll find that it's really not that that many. And, and the fact of the matter is that out of this squad, best case scenario, there will probably be two or three guys who will be able to play for top six Premier League sides. Because that that's simply the churn that happens. It's really, really difficult to get into um, into a top six side. And Allardyce photographed it very well in the game this Monday. That this assumption, and I know I've, this is where I disagree with uh, my friend and colleague Ollie Kayon, the assumption that if you simply give these, if you simply put these guys directly into their their, their club teams, whether it be Chelsea or Arsenal or United or whatever, right now then all of a sudden they're going to develop and they're going to be great because, look, it worked for Marcus Rashford. is is simply nonsense. That's, I mean, how many other Marcus Rashfords there? Okay, so, so Rooney was more or less, like, dropped straight out of the youth team into there. But just look at the rest of the people who we think are good players in the current England team. 
Kane, Ali, Lalana, Sterling, they came through playing for other clubs, whether it be on loan or, you know, starting at smaller clubs and then moving up. You don't tend to just be dropped out of an academy into a first team unless you're, what, Lionel Messi? Yeah, it, it, it tends not to happen. Johnny? Yeah, well, I thought Sam's column was, 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 was fascinating and, and it made me think about uh, the problem the Premier League's got in the middle, the middle-ranking teams, because you know you're right. There's only going to be one or two Rashfords. If, you know, in, in one Rashford, let's say, in, in in any big team at any one time is, is is pretty good. The rest are going to have to play elsewhere, um, possibly through the loan system or, or or whatever. But the problem is that, as Sam Allardyce outlined, the the job pressure goes all the way down um, the Premier League from positions one to twenty. So the guys in the middle are pretty much battling relegation, let's say, from, from day one and fighting for the jobs from day one. And are almost the, the, the last set of managers that are going to um, be playing young players. So, you know, the, ve- the very part of the Premier League where you might think there would be scope for, for, for some of these kids to go, and, you know, like Danny Welbeck did at Sunderland 10 years ago, that seems to be being lost. And... I don't know where they where they do naturally fit because they're not going to fit in at the top of the championship either on on loan because there's there's too much pressure there. You make the point about pressure, and yeah. I, as a guest in this country for a long time, I marvel at how and I'm looking at you, Alex, because you are the mainstream sports media in this country. At your incessant ability to go and build young athletes up. And then when they don't immediately produce, you go and you absolutely destroy them. And I watched Phil Neville last night talking about how he expected Foden uh, and stuff to to be playing for Manchester City when he comes back. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys are kids. And when I hear this stuff from ex-pros who who were gifted young players themselves at at once, um, you should remember that he wasn't playing for Manchester United when he was 17 years old. Uh, he only became a regular. I mean, he became regular very young because he was very talented. And you should also know that the guys he was with are kind of freaks of nature. Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes. These these are generational players, and maybe Phil Foden is too. But but why go and and then load this idea on him? And if in two years' time he's not playing, it'll be a waste. And I don't understand that. And I really hope that these kids don't get set up for a fall. Not because I care about the welfare of the England team. But because I care about, because I really don't, but I, I care about talented young footballers and, 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 and people making unrealistic expectations. So yeah, I'm pointing at you, mainstream media. Well, I would like to say that we would always go out of our way to like be balanced. I mean, that's what the whole point of Sam is this morning, right? Bringing it back down to earth. I refuse to buy into this. These guys are going to solve everything. They are children. I mean, forget football for a second. How many people age 17, you know, know what they're going to be when they're 22, 23, 24? I'd argue that the current England team of Ali and Dyer and Kane and all that, they're not even old enough yet. They'll probably be, they'll probably peak in four years from now. So let's not worry about these kids. Let's just make sure we keep them grounded. We try and get them playing the right kind of football somewhere and that they develop because you're absolutely right, Gab. There's 11 players, you know, in that first team, two or three of them regular Premier League players great i'd be pleased if that was happening how many of them will be playing for city or chelsea i'll probably say none i mean i i i, I think it, 
it's about individuals and the really clever managers when it comes to development do take that sort of individual centered approach there isn't a one way for for all of these talents and you know phil neville's forgotten what happened to his generation which was nicky bott played first but but paul Scholes was kept back for a couple of years because because ferguson realized you know not just physically but as a person maybe he needed to be taken a little bit longer you know beckham went out on loan but the others didn't it, it takes skillful management i look look at what potch is doing with with josh anoma who's i think a terrific prospect but you know he had him in the team he's had him out he's had him on loan there's there's an individual plan going on there and it's i think it's important that we in the media don't expect the same pathway to happen for all of these guys um, you know, give them a bit of space to develop at an individual pace, and and hopefully on top of that, they'll have managers who recognise their individual needs and 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 work accordingly. No, I I I really subscribe to that. And you know what? When people have success at a twenty-one level, I kind of think these guys are professionals. They're millionaires. They don't need the coddling, even though they are under twenty-one players. These guys, as Alex said, these guys are kids. Even Phil Foden is. A child okay let's go and let them develop on their own let's maybe put a little bit more trust on the people that have developed them to this point and let's not really talk about them again until they become first team regulars all right time now for everybody's favorite part of the show it's quick hits let me go and explain the rules again to alex since it is your first time um and also maybe johnny you could use a refresher as well i will ask a question you will have 20 seconds to answer coherently at the 20 second mark. You will hear this sound effect at the 25 second mark. You will hear this sound effect. And if you keep talking after that, I will just start shouting rudely over you, which then will get me more abuse from people on Twitter telling me like, why can't you be more like the presenters on five live? Manchester City win at West Bromwich Albion, extending their unbeaten streak to 21 games, and uh, some are even wondering whether the title race is already over. Uh, Jonathan, I'm struck by how some of these guys seem to have improved year on year. Would you like to lavish some praise on Mr. Raheem Sterling? Raheem Sterling scored one fewer goal than Harry Kane. I, that, that's the start of the weekend for me. That's incredible. Um, Sané's becoming the player that could really lead that generation. They're all doing brilliantly, aren't they? And, and, and Guardiola, um, through individuals and the team himself, is, is, is showing his, his qualities this season now. Arsenal put the joys of the AGM and the annual Kroenke visit behind them to beat Swansea 2-1. Alex, it's the sort of game we expect them to win, so maybe it's not that big a deal. Um, so best to talk about the AGM, because I know you love this kind of stuff. Were you expecting anything different? No, it's like we printed a, a table last season in, in the uh, in the game I think it was where we showed how Arsenal season happens exactly the same every season and once again angry AGM good couple of results in October around AGM but the bad news for them is November's coming up and that's Wenger's worst month so you can expect defeat in Man City maybe some unexpected home defeat coming up and we start again then they'll do well over Christmas little crisis February, March recover for the end of the season we've been here before right? Uh, we certainly have it's Groundhog Day uh, Chelsea win at Bournemouth 1-0 after Antonio Conte turns to some industrial language to bemoan stories of the unrest in his camp. Jonathan, are people really making things up about Chelsea? What sort of people would go and say bad things about Antonio's uh, dressing room? Can you shine a light for us? This is Chelsea. Um, this, 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 he's got to come to grips with the fact that this is the club that you cannot control as a manager. It doesn't matter how well you do. 
players have got very influential agents. Uh, Chelsea's always been a, a club where that's been a, a big player. You can't control what the owner's going to do. You've got Michael Emanalo. You've, you've just got an unwieldy club that, that's actually succeeded very well with the structure for 15 years and isn't going to change. But I like seeing Conte in this mode because I felt he was a bit sulky at the beginning of the season and this is needed. Liverpool thump Huddersfield 3-0, even though it took them a while to get going. And no, I won't dwell on Jurgen Klopp and his friend David Wagner. This whole story is so boring and so played out. I'm more interested in Alex and knowing whether these victories are all kind of relevant until he either gets reinforcements at the back or gets the guys right at the back to play better. Yeah, I, I think it's the second one. I kind of subscribe to the Jamie Carragher point of view, which is you can put Ferdinand and Vidic at centre-back at their peak in that Liverpool team. And if you're going to expose them that much and have your full-backs giving them no protection and no holding midfielder, then it just doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah, maybe Virgil van Dijk is going to make everything better because apparently he's the greatest person in the world, um, if you believe the hype. But, no, long way to go. My friend at Liverpool suggests to me that when Nathaniel Klein comes back, there will be a marked improvement. It gets nasty at the end of uh, Stokes' win over Watford when Joe Allen clashes with uh, Troy Deeney. Now, Johnny, we have this image of Troy Deeney as being a super nice guy, whereas, in fact, we have a pretty positive image of Joe Allen too, don't we, with the chickens and stuff? But it's always going to look bad when Deeney goes and picks on a guy who, relative to his size, is kind of a smurf. And when he has an insane killer clown look on his face as he's shoving his fingernails into the guy's cheeks, right? Troy was smiling. You know, what's what's the problem? I think he was just... Um, he's being having, friendly. Having a happy chat with a, with a nice nice, nice, uh, nice opponent. No, I mean, that, 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 that is Troy Deeney who's come up from from the ranks and we know his personal history he's got that in him but uh, he's done that before Joe Allen he, you know he's got that feistiness in him I, I, I just love those kind of you know mascot versus uh, WWE <laughs> disparities and I remember Yaya Turi did it a couple of years ago in the cup final didn't he he picked someone up I can't remember who it was but it's a great spectacle what, what I loved about that too it is I, I've come to really like Ryan Shawcross as he gets older and, and as I get older and I thought he did well in that game and everything he comes over to play the peacemaker I'm assuming, and Dini just puts one shove, just goes and puts the guy on his rear end. I, I, and I thought, like, wow, like you don't mess with Mr. Dini there, do you? No. Shawcross um, tiny all of a sudden. No, but also to Shawcross's credit, I think old Shawcross from like five yeah. or six years ago would have gotten up. He would have gotten all red faced, and then we would have had a, you know, he would have, he would have chucked Allen out of the way, and we would have had a proper heavyweight brawl. This Shawcross says, you know what? Hey, he's not worth it. He's heading for a ban. He's heading for the bench. I'm back. I'm fit again. I want to be playing. I want to be leading this club. So well done, Ryan Shawcross. West Ham undo all the good they put together against Spurs in midweek by drawing 2-2 with Crystal Palace. And Joe Hart uses, and I don't know, I, I guess it's a buzzword in this country, he uses the word, quote, unprofessional. Um, Alex, were you as shocked as others seem to have been that he used that word? And are you okay with him calling out his teammates in public like that? Well, in public, no. I think... Look, he's, well, he's, not, he's the manager, he's a player, right? No, exactly. I mean, if he's unhappy and he wants to be a leader in the dressing room and he thinks people aren't, you know, pulling their weight, then have a word with them in private or talk to the manager. Saying it in public just makes it look like, look how great I am, I've had a really good game, I kept you in it and I'm going to blame everybody else. It just... And he has very good hair, too. Yeah, people say that. I think it's his uh, hair care products. Oh, yeah. The ones he endorses as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. We like them. They put adverts in the paper sometimes. <laughs> okay, sorry. 
Gab, one for you. Bayern Munich were five points back three matches ago in the Bundesliga. Now they're three points clear. Is uh, Jupp Hinks working his magic or is this the Bundesliga just doing what the Bundesliga does? No, I think it's uh, Jupp Hinks has come in. He's won three games. A little bit of help at the weekend from the VAR um, and a very harsh sending off for uh, Willy Orban. What's really helped them is the fact that Peter Boss is just absolutely a terrible manager and he's just dropping points left, right and center and he had a five-point lead over over Bayern, and uh, now they're they're three points behind them. And guess who they play next week? They play Bayern, and they lose that, and it's six points back. I think it's the it's it's been the ineptitude of Borussia Dortmund, uh, as much as Bayern winning these games. Bayern not out of the woods yet either. Muller injured, Lewandowski muscular injuries. Obviously, Ribery's out too. But you know what? When other teams are self-destructing, hey, more power to you. I'm going to have to put Man City and Bayern in their own little mini-league and just play each other for the rest of the season. Tell you what, if Man City play Bayern now, it gets really ugly really, really quickly because Bayern still have a ton of things to sort out. Hello and welcome to The Sweeper, the Times of Fantasy Football Tips service. My name's Charlie Scott and I'm here with Paddy Von Baer. Hello everyone. And we're here to just do a quick recap of Game Week 10 where our tips in Friday's email brought lots of points actually. Pep Guardiola and his merry band of rotating attacking midfielders were up to their usual tricks. They won 3-2 against West Brom and Leroy Sane was the pick of the bunch there. How many points did he get us, Paddy? 12 for Sane, which was, uh, as expected, really, in four of the past five weeks, he's got a goal and an assist. That's becoming pretty regular now. And I crunched some numbers and worked out that in seven of the ten matches this season where he's played 30 or minutes... He's picked up 68 points. That's an average of 9.7 points a game. Yeah, he's now the top scorer in the league by, I think, a nine-point margin um, and only 8.7 million. So you've got to start thinking about getting him in. Thankfully, he was among our suggestions for the week. He was our tip for the Man City game. Uh, a success elsewhere came from Phil Jones, who scored nine points in Man United's defence. Uh, Cesar Azpilicueta, eight for Chelsea. Jamie Vardy, also eight for Leicester. Uh, Andrus Townsend got an assist, six points for Crystal Palace and uh, had Mohamed Salah not missed his penalty against Huddersfield uh, he would have had a very nice week as well but a late assist saved him with a small four point haul which was all in all pretty helpful um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek uh, we mentioned in Friday's email as a potential budget midfielder going forward he looked quite threatening for Palace as well playing behind Wilfred Zaha and uh, one of our old favourites Pascal Gross got another assist uh, for Brighton I think that's uh, three in a row he's becoming a pretty useful budget midfield option uh, going forward Interesting to see Demario Gray and Ben Chilwell go straight into the starting lineup for Claude Pearl's Leicester. Yeah, it's always interesting when a new manager comes in to see what happens. Um, ben Chilwell played as a sort of left winger at times. Yeah. I think he's only 4.3 million, um, so that is interesting indeed. Elsewhere, Eden Hazard looked very sharp for Chelsea. He looks like he's back to full fitness now. Scored against Bournemouth, created a handful of chances, uh, and is owned by just 5% of teams, I think. So that becomes somewhere to find a bit of a differential. Um, and the other thing I spotted was, uh, obviously, we mentioned Phil Jones, but Chris Smalling's playing in that Man United defence as well now. They're both 5.3 million in a, a team with plenty of clean sheets in them. Uh, it might even be worth considering picking up both of them, because at 5.3 yeah. million, that's uh, that's pretty interesting value. And, and Mourinho obviously played three at the back on uh, on Saturday, and that seems to be working. So keep an eye on that. Absolutely. Ten clean sheets in the past 15 league games for United. So that is The Sweeper. Uh, we are, have an email every Friday straight into your inbox. Uh, it's all free, uh, packed full of advice and the aforementioned suggestions. That's thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. Uh, and uh, you'll have an email in your inbox every Friday full of all the aforementioned tips. 
Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guests, uh, Jonathan Northcroft from his very, very large house somewhere up north, and that's uh, not north, Gab. Well noted. And also, of course, uh, Alex Kajelski making his debut, taking time out from his busy, busy schedule. Now, remember, I go back to this. It's just eight pounds for an eight week trial. If you'd like to subscribe, you get not just our newspaper, but the other one, the one that's on Sundays, the one where you can read Jonathan Northcroft in, uh, as well. Um, we think it's great value for money for the content alone. But if you're not convinced just by that, you can also get highlights of every game in the Premier League, the Champions League, the Europa League, and the FA Cup too. We're going to be back next Monday after an epic Super Sunday where Manchester City hosts Arsenal and Manchester United travel to Chelsea. Um, I wonder if the Skymen are going to call it sort of Manchester versus Zone 2 or something. Um, (laughs) Till next time. Bye-bye. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times... Head to thetimes.co.uk. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.